0: Chapter 18 of Tante. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Tante by Anne Douglas Sedgwick. Chapter 18. The Unspoken. For the first month or so of Madame von Marwitz's return, remained accepted. There were no declarations and no definitions and Gregory's immunity was founded on something more reassuring than the mere fact that Madame von Marwitz frequently went away. When she was in London it became apparent he was to see very little of her, and as long as they did not meet too often he felt that he was, in so far, safe. Madame von Marwitz was tremendously busy. She paid many weekend visits. She sat to Balot, who had come to London to paint it, for a great portrait she was to give three concerts in london during the winter and two in paris and it was natural enough that she had not found time to come to the flat again but although gregory saw so little of her although she was not in his life as a presence he felt her in it as an influence she might have been the invisible but portentous comet moving majestically on the far confines of his solar system and one accounted for oddities of behavior in the visible planets by inferring that the comet was the cause of them if he saw very little of madame von marwitz he saw too much less of his twin planet karen it was not so much that karen's course was odd as that it was altered if madame von marwitz sent for her very intermittently she had all the same in all her life as she told gregory never seen so much of her guardian she frankly displayed to him the radiance of her state wishing him as he guessed to share to the full every detail of her privileges and to realize to the full her gratitude to him for proving so conclusively to tante that there was none of the selfishness of love in him tante must see that he made it very easy for her to go to her and gregory derived his own secret satisfaction from the thought that karen's radiance was the best of retorts to madame von marwitz's veiled intimations as long as she made karen happy and let him alone he seemed to himself to tell her he would get on very well and he suspected that her clutch of karen would soon loosen when she found it unchallenged in the meantime there was not much satisfaction for him elsewhere Karen's altered course left him often lonely. Not only had the readings of political economy, begun with so much ardor in their spare evenings, almost lapsed for lack of consecutiveness, but he frequently found on coming home, tired for his tea and eager for the sight of his wife, a little note from her telling him that she had been summoned to Mrs. Forrester's as Tante was with Fafner in his cave and wanted her. Fafner was the name that madame von marwitz gave to her moods of sometimes tragic and sometimes petulant melancholy karen had told him all about Fafner and how in the cave tante would lie sometimes for long hours silent her eyes closed holding her hand sometimes asking her to read to her english french german or italian poetry their range of reading always astonished gregory he gathered, too, from Karen's confidences how little, until now, he had gauged the variety of the great woman's resources, how little done justice to her capacity for being merely delightful. She could be whimsically gay, in the mists of melancholy, and her jests and merriment were the more touching, the more exquisite, from the fact that they flowered upon the dark background of the cave. It was, he saw, with a richer flavor that Karen tasted again the charm of old days, when, after some great musical or social event, in which the girl had played her part of contented observer, they had laughed together over follies and appreciated qualities, in the familiar language of illusion, evolved from long community in experience. Karen repeated to him Tante's sallies at the expense of this or that person, and the phrase with which she introduced these transformations of human foolishness to the service of comedy come let us make meringues of them the dull or ludicrous creatures so to be whipped up and baked crisp revealed in the light of the analogy the tempting vacuity of a bowl of white of egg when tante introduced her wit into the colorless substance she frothed it to a sparkling work of art gregory was aware sometimes of a pang as he listened he and karen had indeed their many little jokes and their stock of common association was growing but there was nothing like the range of reference nothing like the variety of experience that her life with madame von marwitz had given her to draw upon it was to her companionship intermittent as it had been with the world-wandering genius that she owed the security of judgment that often amused yet often disconcerted him the catholicity of taste besides which Though he would not acknowledge its final validity, he felt his own taste to be sometimes narrow and sometimes guileless. He saw that Karen had every ground for feeling her own point of view, a larger one than his. It was no personal complacency that her assurance expressed, but the modest recognition of privilege. Beyond their personal tie, so her whole demeanour showed him, he had nothing to add to her highly dowered life. Gregory had known that his world would mean nothing to Karen, yet when, under Betty's guidance, she fulfilled her social duties, dined out, gave dinners, received and returned visits, the very compliance of her indifference, while always amusing, vexed him a little, and a little alarmed him, too. He had known that he would have to make all the adjustments, but how adjust oneself to a permanent separation between one's private and one's social life? old ties lacking new elements of growth tended to become formalities when karen was not there he did not care to go without her to see people and when she was with him the very charm of her personality was a barrier between him and them his life became narrower as well as lonelier there was nothing much to be done with people to whom one's wife was indifferent it was very obvious to him that she found the sober conventional people who were his friends very flavourless especially when she came to them from Fafner's cave he had always taken his friends for granted as part of the pleasant routine of life like one's breakfast or one's bath but now seeing them anew through karen's eyes he was inclined more and more to believe that they weren't as dull as she found them she lacked the fundamental experience of a rooted life she was yet to learn he hoped he determined she should learn that a social system of harmonious people significant perhaps more because of their places in a system than as units and bound together by a highly evolved code was when all was said and done a more satisfactory place in which to spend one's life than an archaic world of erratic undisciplined independent individuals karen however did not understand the use of the system and she saw its members with eyes as clear to their defects as were gregory's to the defects of madame von marwitz gregory's friends belonged to that orderly and efficient section of the nation that moves contentedly between the simply professional and the ultra fashionable they had a great many duties social political and domestic which they took with a pleasant seriousness and a great many pleasures which they took seriously too they came up from the quiet responsibilities of the countryside for a season and did the concerts and exhibitions as they did their shopping and their balls art to most of them was a thing accepted on authority like the latest cut for sleeves or the latest fashion for dressing the hair a few of them like the cornish lavingtons had never heard madame okraska a great many of them had never heard of bellot the madame okraskas and the bellots of the world were to them a queer alien people regarded with only a mild derivative interest they recognized the artist as a decorative appurtenance of civilized life very much as they recognized the dentist or the undertaker as its convenient appurtenances it still struck them as rather strange that one should meet artists socially and perhaps as rather regrettable their traditional standard of good faith requiring that the people one met socially should on the whole the people whom one wouldn't mind one's sons and daughters marrying and they didn't conceive of artists as entering that category gregory with all his acuteness did not gauge the astonishment with which karen came to realize these standards of his world her cheerful evenness of demeanor was a cloak sometimes for indignation and sometimes for mirth she could only face the fact that this world must in a sense be hers by relegating it and all that it meant to the merest background in their lives. Her real life consisted in Gregory, in Tante. All that she had to do with these people, oh, so nice and kind they were, she saw that well, but oh, so stupid, most of them, so inconceivably blind to everything of value in life, all that she had to do was, from time to time, to open their box, their well-padded, well provendered box, and look at them pleasantly she felt sure that for gregory's sake if not for theirs she should always be able to look pleasantly unless she had been afraid of this sometimes they should say or do things that in their blindness struck at tante and at the realities that tante stood for but all had gone so well so karen believed that she felt no misgivings when tante expressed a wish to look into the box with her and said you must give a little dinner-party for me my karen so that i may see your new milieu gregory controlled a dry little grimace when karen reported this speech to him he couldn't but suspect tante's motives in wanting them to give a little dinner party for her but he feigned the most genial interest in the plan and agreed with karen that they must ask their very nicest to meet tante betty had helped karen with all her dinners she had seen as yet very little of the great woman and entered fully into karen's eagerness that everything should be very nice gregory will take her in said betty and we'll put bertram fraser on her other side he's always delightful and we'll have the canning thompsons and the overtons and the Byings. the Byngs are so decorative constance armitage was now mrs Bying. and my dear old general said karen sitting at her desk with a paper on her knee and an obedient pencil in her hand i forget his name but we met him at the dinner that you gave after we married you know betty with the thin russet face and the little blue eyes may he take me in general montgomery yes that is a good idea glorious old man though lady montgomery is rather a stodge said betty but oliver can have her i remember a sleek small head like a turtle with salmon-pink feathers on it poor oliver will he mind not a bit he never minds anything but the dinner and with mrs barker we can trust to that tante often likes soldiers said karen pleased with her good idea our flags she says they are and that the world would be drab-coloured without them so it was arranged bertram fraser was an old family friend of the jardines his father was still the rector of their northumberland parish and he and gregory and oliver had hunted and fished and shot and gone to oxford together bertram had been a traveller in strange countries since those days had written one or two clever books and was now in parliament the overtons also country neighbours were fond of music as well as of hunting and mr canning thompson was an eminent if rather ponderous q c for whose wife, the gentle and emaciated Lady Mary, Gregory had a special affection. She was a great philanthropist and a patient student of early Italian art, and he and she talked gardens and pictures together. Betty and Oliver were the first to arrive on the festal night. Betty's efficiency, expressed by all her diamonds, and a dress of rose-colored velvet, making up for whatever there might be of inefficiency in Karen's appearance and deportment, Karen was still, touchingly so to her husband's eyes, the little Hans Anderson heroine in appearance. She wore to-night the white silk dress and the wreath of little white roses. Oliver and Gregory chatted desultorily until the bangs arrived. Oliver was fair and ruddy, and his air of dozing contentment was always vexatious to his younger brother. He had every reason for contentment betty's money had securely buttressed the family's fortunes and he had three delightful little boys to buttress betty's money gregory grew a little out of temper after talking for five minutes to oliver and this was not a fortunate mood in which to realise as the montgomerys the overtons and the canning thompsons followed the bangs at eight fifteen that madame von marwitz was probably going to be late at eight thirty looking at him with some anxiety expressed in her raised brows, silently conveyed to him her fear that the soup, at the very least, would be spoiled. At eight-forty, Betty murmured to Karen that they perhaps better begin without Madame von Marwitz, hadn't they? She must, for some reason, be unable to come. Dinner was for eight. "'Oh, but we must wait longer,' said Karen. She would have telephoned, or Mrs. Forrester would, if she had not been coming.' tante is always late but always always she added without condemnation if with anxiety and there is the bell now yes i heard it it was a quarter to nine when madame von marwitz with karen who had hastened out to meet her following behind appeared at last benign and unperturbed as a moon sliding from clouds in the doorway she made her accustomed pause the pause of one not surveying her audience but indulgently allowing her audience to survey her it was the attitude in which bellot was painting his great portrait of her but it was not met to-night by the eyes to which she was accustomed the hungry guests looked at madame von marwitz with austere relief and looked only long enough to satisfy themselves that her appearance really meant dinner gregory led the way with her into the dining-room and suspected in her air of absent musing a certain discomfiture she was as usual strangely and beautifully attired as though for the operatic stage rather than for a dinner-party strings of pearls fell from either side of her head to her shoulders and a wide tiara of pearls banded her forehead in a manner recalling a russian head-dress she looked though so lovely also so conspicuous that there was a certain ludicrousness in her appearance it apparently displeased or surprised lady montgomery who on gregory's other hand her head adorned with the salmon pink ostrich feathers raised a long tortoise-shell lorgnette and fixed madame von marwitz through it for a mute resentful moment madame von marwitz erect and sublime as a goddess in a shrine looked back it was a look lifted far above the region of Lady Montgomery's formal, and, after all, only tentative, disapprobations. Divine impertinence, sovereign disdain, informed it. Lady Montgomery dropped her lorgnette with a little clatter, and, adjusting her heavy diamond bracelets, turned her sleek, mid-Victorian head to her neighbor. Gregory did not know whether to be amused or vexed. It was now his part to carry on a conversation with the great woman, and he found the task difficult. She was not silent nor unresponsive. She listened to his remarks with the almost disconcerting closeness of attention that he had observed in her on their meeting of the other day, seeming to seek in them some savour that still escaped her goodwill she answered him alertly swiftly and often at random as though by her intelligence and competence to cover his ineptitude her smile was brightly mechanical her voice at once insistent and monotonous she had an air which gregory felt more and more to be almost insolent of doing her duty bertram fraser's turn came and he rose to it with his usual buoyancy he was interested in meeting Madame von Marwitz, but he was a young man who had made his way in the world and perhaps exaggerated his achievement. He expected people to be interested also in meeting him. He expected from the great genius a reciprocal buoyancy Madame von Marwitz bent her brows upon him irony grew in her smile, a staccato crispness in her utterance. Cool and competent as he was, Bertram presently looked disconcerted he did not easily forgive those who disconcerted him and making no further effort to carry on the conversation he sat silent smiling a little and waited for his partner to turn to him again had gregory not taken up his talk lamely and coldly with madame von marwitz she would have been left in an awkward isolation she answered him now in a voice of lassitude and melancholy Leaning back in her chair, strange and almost stupefying object that she was, her eyes moved slowly round the table with a wintry desolation of glance, until, meeting Karen's eyes, they beamed forth a brave warmth of cherishing, encouraging sweetness. Yes, ma chérie, they seemed to say. Bear up, I am bearing up. I will make meringues of them for you. She could make meringues of them. Gregory didn't doubt it yet and here was the glow of malicious satisfaction that atoned to him for the discomforts he endured they were every one of them making meringues of her in their narrowness in their defects ran an instinct as shrewd as it was unconscious that was a match for madame von marwitz's intelligence they were so unperceiving that no one of them except perhaps betty and karen who of course didn't count among them at all, was aware of the wintry wind of Madame von Marwitz's boredom. Yet if it had been recognized, it would have been felt as insignificant. They knew that she was a genius, and that she was very odd-looking, and that as Mrs. Jardine's guardian she had not come in a professional capacity, and might therefore not play to them after dinner. So defined she was seen, with all her splendor of association, as incidental only perhaps in this particular section of the british people could this particular effect of cheerful imperviousness have been achieved they were not of the voracious cultured hordes who made their way by their well-trained appreciations nor of the fashionable lion collecting tribe who do not need to make their way but who need to have their way made amusing well bred securely stationed untouched by boredom or anxiety they were at once too dull and too intelligent to be fluttered by the presence of a celebrity they wanted nothing of her except perhaps that after their coffee she should give them some music and they did not want this at all eagerly if madame von marwitz had come to crush to subjugate or to enchant she had failed in every respect and gregory saw that her failure was not lost upon her her manner as the consciousness grew became more frankly that of a vain ill-tempered child ignored she ceased to speak her eyes fixed on the wall over sir oliver's head enlarged in a sullen despondency lady montgomery was making her way through a bunch of grapes and lady mary had only peeled her peach when suddenly taking upon herself the prerogative of a hostess madame von marwitz caught up her fan and gloves with a gesture of open impatience and swept to the door Almost before Gregory had time to reach it, or the startled guests to rise from their places, End of Chapter eighteen.